um, I'm reminded that um, every church, wherever you're from, whatever church you attend, every church has its challenges. I'm going to turn that down just a little bit. Down just a little bit. Every church has its challenges. You know, some, some of you come from churches that are rhythmically challenged. Uh, some of you come from churches that are musically challenged. You are sitting in a church and among a people who are sound challenged. The Lord sees fit to give us sound challenges more times than we care to admit. And yet we know that whatever these challenges are, they are of the Lord. As he comes and reminds us that it is in the midst of those challenges that he humbles us and reminds us that worship takes place not because we get things perfect, but because we get Jesus. And so even this evening, as we continue to be challenged in various ways, let us remember it is Jesus that makes worship even possible. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> Father, this evening we are humbled again. Humbled that you would delight to call us your people. Humbled that you would call us out from amongst the world, call us from the kingdom of darkness and plant us graciously in the kingdom of your dear son. Humbled, Lord, that the grace that you have for us would be so amazing that it would cover all of our sins. Give us a heart and minds, even this evening, to know that our greatest calling is to call upon your name. To acknowledge you. This is what we have been created for. This is why we exist. This is why we live and move and we have our being. Well, that we even know this is because you have been gracious. And so this evening, once again, we pray for your power. We pray for your anointing. That your spirit would fall upon us afresh. Their eyes would be opened. Their ears would be opened. That our hearts would be opened. And that we would see and that we would hear. And that we would receive again Christ Jesus the Lord. And in receiving him. That even this very hour he would become a new Christ to us. Magnifying himself in our hearts and in our lives again. Father, we pray that you would do it. We know that you are able. Our prayer that you would be willing. Do it for your glory. Do it for the good of your people. 
This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the, um, those of you who are familiar with the National Football League, the National Football League has a saying in and around the game of football. It's called Any Given Sunday. Any given Sunday means that because of the nature of the NFL and the nature of the football teams, that anybody can beat anybody on any given Sunday. And though you may be able to look at the teams and in some sense predict who you think might win, any given Sunday, anything can happen. Any given Sunday. I was reminded of this as I learned that there's a church down in Florida that decided that they would uh, launch as a new church plant. The pastor would begin the series by preaching, would begin the services by preaching on a series called Life is a Circus. And to launch that Sunday morning, they performed the song Circus by Britney Spears. They brought out the clowns, the flying trapeze, the juggling acts, any given Sunday. Reminded here just locally, not too long ago, there's a prominent church here in our area in which the, any given Sunday, on this Sunday, the, the pastor was seated and he was propped up. He was lifted up high on his seat and carried around and pronounced as a king any given Sunday. Some churches yearly have what they refer to as the blessing of the dogs. Well, they encourage their parishioners to bring their dogs to church. And as they bring the dogs to church, the church will, the pastors and the priests and whoever they are, they lay hands on the dogs and they bless the dogs. One woman said... At last, finally, I can bring my poodles to church. Yes, ma'am, you bring your poodles, I'll bring my pit bulls. We'll just sit right next to each other and have a jolly old time in the Lord. Any given Sunday. Unfortunately, any given Sunday apparently is not only descriptive of the National Football League, beloved, but... It's also descriptive too often of the churches in our day. You go to church and what you think or what you think you might go to see on any given Sunday could be just about anything. It seems the church is overly concerned with entertainment and amusement. As someone has rightly said, like the world, we, the church, are amusing ourselves to death. And it's understandable for the world, beloved. It's understandable that the world would be seeking amusement because outside of amusement, what else does the world have? There is no other hope outside of 
the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, outside of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, life is futile. Life is meaningless. We may as well eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. Say la vie. Que sera, sera. So that the world would be amusing itself is not a shock. Here's the shock, beloved. It's when the church seeks to be amusing itself. And the church is never more like the world than when it is entertaining and amusing itself and pawning that off as worship. The church is not an amusement park. The kingdom of God is not a circus and God is not a ringmaster. He is not interested in our tricks. He is not interested in us performing stunts for him. He did not save us so that we might imitate the world or set us up as entertainment for the world. Rather, our God is holy. Our God is other. Our God is an awesome, consuming fire. Because, and because we have not looked more intently and more diligently into the scriptures and sought to know who God is and how and why he has revealed himself to us, we believe that we can do and say any old thing we like and he will be pleased. Yet the Bible says, That we are to approach God in worship with reverence and with fear. That we should stand uneased, knees trembling, and in reverence and awe of him. Perhaps, perhaps if we could just get a better picture, perhaps if we could get a better understanding of what happens when we come to worship, what is really going on? What does the Bible say happens when we gather together corporately? Perhaps if we just got a better understanding and idea of what happens when the church gathers in any local place and lifts up its voices in praise and adoration to God, perhaps if we got a better idea of what is happening in worship, then we may curtail these amusements. And we may better find more biblical ways and means of worshiping 
our God. I want to do that for us this evening. I want to talk to you about what happens in worship. I want to do that by drawing your attention to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, I think it is very appropriate and rather appropriate that we would go to the book of Hebrews to get a sense of of worship because of all the books in the Bible, I am convinced that Hebrews in the New Testament gives us the highest understanding of what worship is. There is no higher Christology in all of the Bible than you find in Hebrews. In Hebrews, Christ is better. In Hebrews, Christ is bigger. In Hebrews, Christ is just better than everything and everyone else. And from the Hebrew, from the book of Hebrews, I want to suggest to you there's three things that happens. Three things that happen when we come to worship together, when we gather corporately. And these three things, if we understand them when we're gathering corporately, we're understanding that these things are happening spiritually and these things that are happening spiritually ought to be manifesting themselves corporally. That those should inform our worships, our worship corporately. What are these three things? Well, the first one is we meet with God. The second one is we participate with Christ. And the third one is we encourage each other. We meet with God. The church in the Bible is called an assembly. It is an assembly. It is an assembly of those who have been called out of darkness and called to come and worship God. Israel, when God sends Moses to to, to Egypt and Israel is in bondage in Egypt, God says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can come and worship me. Let my people go so that they can come and worship me. And like Israel, being redeemed from Egypt, when God calls us, those redeemed by his power and his grace to come, He calls us to come and worship him. But it's important that we know something about the one who's calling us. It's important that we know something about the one who says, come. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, the Bible says, Therefore, let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom. That cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let us consider who God is. 
This is always, beloved, this is always the downfall of worship with God's people. Whenever we fail to contemplate not just God's greatness and not just God's goodness, but we fail to contemplate, more importantly, his holiness. When we fail to contemplate his holiness, God's people fail in their worship of him. Such is the bane of Christian worship today. We have forgotten who God is. The writer of Hebrews in in, in verse 22 of this chapter reminds us that God is living. That God is living. We have come to the city of the living God. That God is not dead. That he is not an idol that is made with hands. And he is not a God that we fashion into any old image that we like. He is not a God that we fashion after ourselves. But he is the living God. He is the source of life and all things living. Only he has life in himself. It is he who gives life. It is he who sustains life. When we understand this, when we understand that we have come to the living God, then we begin to contemplate our unworthiness. We contemplate our unworthiness because in worship we begin to admit and submit to God's worth and our own unworthiness. Because apart from God, I am dead. He is the living God. And the only reason that I have life is because the living God has come and quickened me. He has made me alive. Ephesians chapter 2 begins by reminding us that every human being comes into the world DOA. Dead on arrival. And the march from the womb is a march to the tomb. And it may be one week. It may be one year. It may be 50 years. It may be a hundred years. But the march from the womb is a march to the tomb unless God comes and as the writer of Hebrews says makes us alive we have come to the living God the only reason we worship is because God has made us alive. He has quickened us. He has put life in our veins. 
But not only just life in our veins, beloved, he has put life in our spirits. So that now we are dead to sin and alive to God. He is a living God. And the only reason you live is because of him. Not only is he a living God, the writer of Hebrews says that he is the judge of all in verse 23. He's the judge of all. He's not only the judge of the world, he is also the judge of the church. He's the judge of our worship. And it, besu- it behooves us to know what the judge desires. It behooves us to know what the judge does not want. For I dare us come into the courtroom of the judge and offer to the judge that which he has not asked for. Or to make our plea before him and not even understand the nature of the case. But we must know who this judge is. The fact that the Bible tells us that we are to offer up our worship that is acceptable tells us that there is also an unacceptable worship. And who is to be the judge of that? If it's acceptable, it's because the judge has determined that's acceptable. If it is unacceptable, the judge has determined that is unacceptable. But the only way that we would know that is if we would know who the judge is. And know what he has required. The one to whom we come, the judge of all, determines what is right and acceptable in his court. Because he who is the living God and the judge of all, the writer of Hebrews says, is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire in verse 29. You know, we're told in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2 that God is a refining fire. That he refines, that he purifies, that he purges, that he prunes. That he loves and delights to reform and conform his people to his will. But he is not only a refining fire, he is a consuming fire. So that we need to understand that the judge of all the universe is not selling wolf tickets. Because he not only pronounces judgment, beloved, but he has no aversion to executing judgment. And he will execute judgment upon those who offer up to him a worship that is unacceptable. The worship will be condemned and the worshipers are often consumed. Ask Israel in Exodus 32 as they're worshiping unacceptably at Mount Sinai. Ask Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 as they offer up to God a strange fire. Ask David and Uzzah as they seek to worship God, not according to how God has prescribed. 
as those saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as they come to the Lord's table in a way that God has not prescribed. Because not only is the worship condemned, but the worshipers are consumed. Beloved, it is. It is an awesome thing to come and to worship our God. When we come into the assembly every week, we come to meet with a God who is living, who is a judge, and who is a consuming fire. And if that is the case, we need to come with reverence and awe. God is not mocked. He will not be mocked. The interesting thing is, is I, often, I often see the entertainment and I hear the amusement. I am left to ask, where is the reverence? Where is the reverence? Where is the awe? When we come into worship, we not only meet with God, but we also participate with Christ. Besides coming before God in our worship, we must also remember that we don't come alone, but on the contrary, Christ comes with us. We come with Christ. One of the great joys of corporate worship week in and week out is the presence of the saints. Many of those saints I have not seen in a week or more. And what a joy it is to come and commune once again with them, to renew our fellowship, to renew our covenant with each other. Yet more importantly than you coming or I come or I'm coming is that Christ comes. His presence is there. But he is not only present, beloved. The Bible says that he participates. In Hebrews, in chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, the word of God reads, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he, speaking of Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. When Christ comes, he offers his voice. Christ offers his voice in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the ecclesia, in the midst of the church. 
Christ comes and offers up praise to God. Understand that when you open your hymnal, Christ delights to share your hymnal. As the words are projected upon the screen, if they get on the screen, Christ delights to sing along with you. He not only makes up for what we lack in prayers, beloved, but he also makes up for what we lack in singing. If you are like me and others don't appreciate the glory and the majesty of the gift of singing that the Lord has given you. Fear not. Fear, fear not. Don't think for a moment that no matter how well you sing, you sing well enough. Don't think for a moment that no matter how well other people tell you you sing, you do not sing well enough. God is not impressed with your voice. God is not impressed with your ability to sing. And the only reason that your singing rings true and lovely in heaven is because Christ comes and he sings with you. Any given Sunday, the Lord walks in the midst of the congregation. And he joins you in singing. He joins you in praising. Without Jesus, our voices get no higher than the ceiling. Our voices reach no further than these magnifications can take them. But because of Jesus... Our voices reach the throne room of God. Because of Jesus, the angels gathered around the throne hear us. And they say amongst themselves, who is that? What is that? Can we join in with that? Because of Jesus. He lends his voice. In the midst of the sanctuary. So the question that we should be asking ourselves when we come into worship is not what would Jesus do. We ought to be asking, what would Jesus sing? Would he sing the song that I'm singing? Would he be pleased to join in with the choir this morning? Would he turn to that page in the hymn? No. Is he pleased with those words that are projected on the screen? Or am I singing in vain? Is Jesus pleased to sing with me this morning? He not only lends his voice, but he lends himself. He offers himself in worship. He offers himself in the word proclaimed. For he says that I will proclaim your name. In the midst of the congregation. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. You know in worship we feast upon the bread of life. Do we not? 
We pray that there are those there who are able to open up the word because they have studied to show themselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. And because they are able to do that, they set before us the feast of God's word. But it is not upon the words of the preacher that you are feasting. Hopefully you're feasting upon the bread of life. Hopefully you're feasting upon the words of Christ. Jesus, the Bible says in John 6 and 35, is the bread of life. And so we preach Christ. This is why we preach Christ. We preach Christ because Christ offers himself to his people in the proclamation of the word. We preach Jesus. But you know what? He not only offers himself in the proclamation of the word, but he offers himself in the bread and the cup as well. For he offers himself as the bread of life in the word. But when we come to the communion table, it is called communion because we commune with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, the Bible says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? We are participating with Christ. We are participating in his body. We are participating in his blood. And just as Jesus at the very first Lord's table, broke the bread and poured the cup and served his disciples. So every week we come to the Lord's table. Jesus breaks the bread. Jesus pours the cup and he offers himself to us. He's in the midst of the congregation serving us. This is my body, he says. This is my blood. This is why, beloved. This is why we preach Christ. This is why we sing Christ. This is why we pray Christ. When we come to church, when we come to church, we need to understand that it is Christ. Christ is the reason why we are here. Seminary professor and worship leader, Reggie Kidd, said this. He says, so our task as worship leaders is this. Give the platform to the real worship leader. Let him pray effectual prayers. Let him declare the Father's blessing. Let him sing over his people with love. Let him set the most lavish of tables. Listen. Listen, worship leaders. Listen, pastors. We don't lead people into the presence of God. We don't lead people into the throne room of God. We don't lead people into the Holy of Holies. Christ leads them there. Christ takes people into the throne room of God. He takes people into the Holy of Holies. All we do is point them to Jesus. We point them to Christ. 
Christ leads them into the presence of God. This is why it behooves us as pastors. It behooves us as worship leaders that every week, week in and week out, we are seeking to set before the people Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Let them see Jesus. Show them Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. Well, when I come to church on any given Sunday, I hope you're there. I hope I see you. I love to renew our fellowship. I love to renew our covenant together. But I am guaranteed that Jesus will be there. And the presence of Jesus needs to inform what happens in this place. Therefore, I don't need those up front keeping me from seeing Jesus. I don't need those up front keeping me from seeing Jesus. When we come into corporate worship, we meet with God. We participate with Christ. And lastly, we encourage one another. You know, our time together week in and week out should be a time of mutual encouragement. When the days are are difficult and the times are trying, where do we go? Hopefully not to the club. Hopefully you come to church. And in the church, you should find encouragement. In the church, you should find a spurring on. Because when we are worshiping rightly, we not only meet with God, we not only participate with Christ, but when we are worshiping biblically, we are also encouraging one another. Here's something to remember. The church is not for you. The church is for us. You are not the body of Christ. We are. This is why you can't have church by yourself. How do people like to think they have a church in their car? They think they have a church in the shower. You can't have church by yourself because the church is called an assembly. And the last time I checked, it took more than one to make an assembly. The church is the gathering. The church is the assembly. And don't get me wrong. You don't have to go to church to get Jesus. You just got to go to church to get Jesus rightly. You have to go to church to get him correctly. Because he has given himself for the church. This is so important, beloved. And we understand that there are too many one another passages in the Bible for anybody to deny this. Far too many one another passages in the Bible to deny this. And only when we come together are we able to fulfill God's commands concerning these one another passages. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. The Bible says, and let us consider how to stir one another. Stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging again one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's in the assembly of God that we are to motivate each other to love and good deeds. We are to encourage each other as the days become more difficult. And we all know that these are some difficult days. And if you don't know that, just keep living. So days do grow difficult. And the encouragement of the Spirit is in the strength and the encouragement that we give to each other as we come together in our times of worship. And when it gets difficult, when it gets hard... When life gets on us and wears on us, the temptation for, for too many of us is to not to want to come, want to, come to the assembly. It's to want to stay at home and to not go to church. The temptation for us is that we just want to be alone. We want to cry all by ourselves. But this is something for us to remember as pastors, as worship leaders. That if smiles and laughter have a place in the assembly in the church of God, so do tears. I can tell you how many times that I've been preaching, standing right here. And look out on the congregation and see someone, someone crying. Tears running down their face. And I am moved to know what in the word of God is prompting them to break. How is the spirit moving in their lives so that the spirit himself would bring them to tears? Because something in the word is breaking their hearts. And how I am encouraged at that moment to make sure that I'm giving them Jesus. Song leaders, listen, listen. As you are preparing worship and you're preparing songs, be mindful that there ought to be songs in the Sunday morning worship that the wounded sinner can sing. It ought to be songs in Sunday worshiped that the down and out sinner can sing. And every song ought not to be one mountaintop experience to another. But there are Christians down in the valley who need to sing of the glory and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. You know. Your tears all by yourself do your brother and sister no good. All that you would come and know that you can come into the sanctuary and cry. And know that in your crying, you would not be alone. Because your brothers and sisters delight to grieve with those who grieve. To mourn 
with those who mourn and to be comforted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, this should remind us then that worship is not about entertainment. Worship is not about amusement. Worship is not about you. Worship is not about me. Worship is about Jesus. And the encouragement is not how well we sing. The encouragement is who we sing. The encouragement is not how well we preach. The encouragement is in who we preach. The encouragement is not in what you have. The encouragement is in who you have. And any given Sunday, you should get Jesus. Any given Sunday, you come into your church, you should hear Jesus. Any given Sunday, you come to worship, you should be able to sing Jesus. Any given Sunday, as you come into the sanctuary, you should be reminded that no matter what else is going on in this world or how big and mighty you think you are, all you really have is Christ. When I come to church, I don't need you to tell me how good I am. I don't need self-esteem. I need Christ's esteem. I don't need self-assurance. I need Christ's assurance. Because in receiving Christ rightly, then I realize that Christ is all I need. Because Christ is all I have. This is why, beloved, it's folly. It's folly for the church to gather and to seek to entertain itself, to amuse each other. We have the hope of hopes. We have the message of messages. We have the glorious one in Christ Jesus who gives us the assurance, who comforts us, who encourages us. That's why, beloved, when I come to service on Sunday morning, I don't need Britney Spears. I don't come to exalt the pastor. And no offense, I don't come to pet your dog. I come to see Jesus. I come to worship Jesus because all I have is Christ. And he is my life. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, this evening we are reminded that all we have is Christ. May he be the warp and the whoop of our worship. May he be the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of all that we do. 
may we see that it is in and through and for and by him that we offer up a worship that is acceptable in your sight. May, may we understand that it is by the meditation upon him that our thoughts and our minds are pleasing in your sight. So again, we offer up ourselves humbly to you once again. Convict us and correct us and remind us afresh. And all we have is Jesus, that he is our life. In his name we pray. Amen.